What if you rejected everything about God that wasn't God and accepted him for who he is? God for you. God with you. God for you. God on your side. So where are you struggling today? What's in the way of you fulfilling what God has called you into life to do? What's your obstacle that you're looking at this week? What about your, your deficits? Where do you feel like you just can't? Like there's just not enough there on the inside to get you there on the outside. Let me tell you a story today about a guy you, you think you know, a guy who thought he knew all about God, but he really didn't. Mary Tyler Moore was born in 1936. She was at one time America's sweetheart. Look at that smile. Remember that girl? Remember when she threw her hat up in the air and it just seemed like she had the the world on a string? It would be easy to believe that her life was always charmed. But the truth of the matter is that it wasn't. She was married as a teenager and that marriage ended in divorce. Her sister in college overdosed and died. Mary got married a second time and divorced. She married the same man again, got divorced again. Then her son accidentally shot and killed himself. In her despair, she became an alcoholic. She got through recovery, got on the right side of things, but contracted diabetes as a result of her drinking. Now the diabetes has affected her eyes, and there's a good chance that she'll be blind by the end of her life. America's sweetheart, but not without deep, deep heartaches, not without deep hurts. She summed up her life experiences like this. None of us gets out of here without pain. I asked you to look at Exodus chapter 6 if you're in the the texting homework thing with me. When you text 33733, you get a text during the week and it tells you to do something or look for something or it tells you to come take me to lunch. It tells you something (laughs) to do that's significant and meaningful. Um, So you were supposed to find the I wills in Exodus chapter 6. So let's look for them now together. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. You will see what I will do. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. Now, God Almighty is a significant name of God. There are many Hebrew names for God in the Old Testament. You can look that up, and and you'll find a whole bunch of names and things that you never even thought about before. But this name for God is El Shaddai. Amy Grant wrote a song with that title a long, long time ago, El Shaddai, El Shaddai. And and it means God is the all-sufficient one. God's the all-sufficient God. He is the sufficiency of my life. He provides everything that I will ever need. And so 
I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as the all-sufficient God, the God who takes care of all of your needs. But by my name, the Lord, which is the name that God gave to Moses earlier in chapter 3, which we'll look at in just a few moments, that's the word that gets translated Yahweh. It's, it's not spoken because it's too holy to be spoken. And yet it means I am that I am. I, I just am. I am pure existence. Scholars, biblical scholars and theologians have studied this for century upon century. And all they can come up with is it somehow means that God is, always was, always will be pure existence. It's, it's hard to put into words as we are finite beings. But by my name, I am. I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. I have remembered what I promised. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the, yoke of the, uh, under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land, I swore, with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. I am. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. They were so beaten down by life that they couldn't even hear this. They couldn't open themselves up to, up to this. And, and we can't allow that to happen. We can't allow life to beat us down so far that we can't hear God's voice calling us into something that is meaningful and good for the future, a future that he will accomplish. But Moses said to the Lord, if the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me since I speak with faltering There are eight I wills I will do to Pharaoh. That's an I will. That's all about power. It establishes the one and only true power that exists, whether it's, it's in a nation, whether it's on a planet, whether it's in the universe. I will do to Pharaoh. I am the power over all powers. I will get it done. It doesn't matter what it looks like politically. Doesn't matter what it looks like when people are bantering and debating. I will have power over all the powers that seem to be in place on the earth. I will bring you out from under. You ever feel like you're under something and you're sort of just there underneath it all? God says, I will bring you out from under. I will free you from being slaves. I'll free you from whatever it is that's, that's got you held back, whatever it is that seems to have handcuffs on you, that seems to defeat you and, and hold you. I will free you from being slaves. I will redeem you. I will pay the price for you. I will take you as my own people. Take you as my own people. There's love there. There's community there. There's affection there. I will be your God. I am the one 
that you can worship in the fullness of what it means to be a human being created in the image of an infinite, eternal, and all-loving God. I will bring you to the land. I'm going to bring you to the place that I promised to bring you. If I promised it to you, I will get you there. I'm going to bring you there, and I will give it to you. It's a gift. It's something that is in my heart that I want you to have. I am giving it. You can rely upon this because of, of who I am. I will do all this. I will, I will, I will, I will. What did Moses say? If the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me since I speak with faltering lips? It's almost like he's not responding to the I wills of God. So we have to go back to chapter 3 of Exodus to see how this all plays out. You think you know me. You don't know me. How can you know me? How can you know really what I went through? That bush that was burning, I saw things burn up. I saw things burn up all the time. It's not why I went over to the bush, you know. Went over to the bush because it wasn't consumed by the fire. And I thought, wow, now this is something to see. I'm out here all the time with sheep, and I never saw a bush that wasn't consumed by the fire. Wood is consumed by fire, but this was not. And then that voice, that voice, it haunts me to this day. After all those years of following him, that voice still haunts me. I can feel it sometimes in my dreams. I can, I can wrap my my mind and my heart around it sometimes, and I still feel some kind of a a mixture of great fear and elation all at the same time. And saying, I am to me. I had shivers. What, What did that mean? You think you know me? You don't know me unless you've, unless you've come to the end of yourself, unless you came to a time when you didn't know you could do anything anymore, and you didn't know you could accomplish anything anymore, and you thought you were only good for a simple thing. Get up. Take care of sheep. Get up. Walk with sheep. Be with sheep. Some days I didn't talk to another human being for a day or two days, a week sometimes. It was quiet. Ever had that kind of a quiet in your life? You think you think you know me? And then the burden that was set on my life to watch over all these people and to somehow take them on a journey that was to get them somewhere and then not to be able to get there and to have to wander for 40 years and get to a place where I never got in myself, but I only saw it from afar. You think you know who I am? What I learned was that God would fulfill what he said he would fulfill. That every time he said, I will, he did what he said he would do. And the story of my life is not not my story. It's a story of a God who was faithful to me through every single moment, through the, the times I felt most defeated, 
there was always a God who was faithful to me. In the times when, when I knew I did not appear to have it in me to accomplish what God had asked me to do, the story is really his story. And if you let his story, if you let his story be your story, then maybe you'll understand me. And so when you look at at Exodus chapter 3, you see the, the unfolding of something that is just amazing, that is about to change world history. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. I've seen a lot of wood, a lot of wood burn. I've never seen this before. And to tell you the truth, it gets a little boring out here with the sheep. So this is like, it's like watching Hulu or something, you know, to Moses. You know, he gets to do something different for the first time in his life in a long time. And then there's a, a few verses where um, he's asked to take off his sandals and and God says that I have seen, I've seen the suffering of the people and I am sending you. And so Moses is just washed over with this information that's so hard to comprehend in the middle of, of, of nowhere. But Moses said to God, this is how Moses answers God at first. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? What are you talking about? And God said, I'll be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And I can hear Moses thinking inside of his, his mind. That does not seem like it's a good enough sign. What kind of a sign is that? Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? I don't, I don't really know your name who really are you? Where do you come from? God said to Moses, I am who I am. As I said, theologians and biblical scholars have studied this forever. And, and the fullness of the meaning, you know, kind of escapes our finite minds. I am. I've always been. I am pure existence. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And you can almost hear Moses going, you know, it's not that good of a sign. I don't understand the name thing. This is not going the way I was thinking it would go. I don't even want to be here anymore. Sorry I walked over to the bush that was burning but really wasn't burning. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. Now we're in Exodus 4. Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? So what if I, what if I go? And what if I do tell them who you are and, and, and that you've sent me? And what if they don't believe it? And the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. It's his equipment for doing the job that God's asked him to do. It's what he has in his hand. God 
has given him something tangible to, to hold on to. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake. And I don't know if we, if we realize the next few words and the implication of it. It says, and he ran from it. He just, he just ran away. What do you do if a snake shows up? You run. He's just a normal person. I once, when I was a kid, I was about 10 years of age, and, and I walked out in the backyard on a, on a beautiful summer, sunny day, school vacation, summer vacation from school, and I just walk out in the backyard, and I stepped on a big snake, and man, did you see me jump, and I ran the other way, because that's what you do with snakes. You run when you see a snake. Now, there are some people who try to catch snakes and, and, and win contests, finding the biggest snake, and they're actually having a, a contest in Florida to catch all the boas down there, and you can enter that contest if you want to, and go to Florida and see if you can grab a big snake, but I'm not going on that faith and life trip. <laughs> Became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. This is not going well for Moses. Wait a minute, what? And so you got to give, give him credit. So, he, so Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and turned back into a staff. And it was in his hand. This said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. I've given you something. You're going to use this, Moses. It's in your hand. Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent. I'm starting to get the, the picture that the job description needs somebody that can talk. And neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant, I'm slow of speech and tongue. I don't even know how to use PowerPoint. I just I don't know. I don't know how that works. The Lord said, Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and we'll teach you what to say. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. After reviewing all the statements here and the job description, the qualifications, please send someone else, please. Please, the snake really scared me. I don't want to do the snake thing anymore. I don't want to go to Egypt. It's not a good place, it's not safe. It's just not, you're calling me into something that's not safe and you're saying I got to trust you and everything and, and I just, I just kind of know, know sheep. That's what it says on my business card. Moses, sheep, that's <laughs> what I do. You know, Moses had this amazing burning bush experience. But he was living out of his deficits. He was living out of his deficits. And a lot of, a lot of the time in, in our lives, we're tempted to live out of our deficits. I can't do that. What? I don't think so. You know, I have this in my hand. I'm not sure what to do with it. Um, maybe somebody else could do it. I'll wait. I'll see. I'll pray another day, another week, another year, another decade, another uh, half century, another century, another millennium. Maybe somebody else will show up who's, who's better equipped than I am. And God says, mm -mm, no, I pick you. Why does God pick us? 
for whatever it is. Because he picks us. Because he knows what we don't know. Because he loves us. Because he believes that sometimes we have to grow and we're only, we're only going to grow if we get up against something that's too big for us and too hard for us and, and we can't do it alone and we need him and we need each other. So how do you go beyond your deficits? The first deficit that Moses experienced was the inferiority deficit. Exodus 3.11. Who am I that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Why me? Why pick me? You know, I could ask that all the time. Why me? Why pick me? You know, I'm just a little kid that grew up in New Jersey and I played Sandlot baseball and my family came over from Europe at the turn of the 20th century. As the 19th century turned into the 20th, some of my distant relatives got on boats and came over here and went through Ellis Island. And, and I once saw the record of them coming through Ellis Island. It was all written out there. I saw my grandmother's name and she was just a child. And then they settled in, in places like Brooklyn, in places like Patterson, New Jersey, and they had businesses, and they, they, they understood the basic rule of business. You sell, you buy something, you sell it for more. And that's all they did. They bought stuff, they sold it for more, they bought stuff, they sold it for more, and they started to, to build houses, and they started to, to buy property, and, and, and gradually, uh, post-World War II, they began to live the American dream. They bought Chevrolets. See the USA in a Chevrolet. You know, and we ate Skippy peanut butter and we watched Walt Disney on Sunday nights and, 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 and we believed in Tinkerbell and, and everything seemed to like fall into, into place. And so I was supposed to do that. Why me? There's nobody in my family that does this. Why me, God? Why me. You can ask that all day long about yourself. God, why do you want to use me in this ministry? God, why'd you give me this responsibility? And God says, I chose you. The next deficit that Moses is working out of is his authority deficit. Exodus three thirteen to 14. Moses wanted to know what name he's supposed to go with. Because everything turns upon a name. Did you ever go into a fancy restaurant and you weren't supposed to get in, but you knew somebody, you knew the owner or you knew the maitre d' or you knew you had a good friend who was there and goes there a lot and they know that he is a good customer and so he says, use my name. And you know that by using a name, a door can open. It changes things when you have the, the right name. Uh, who would like to get in tonight for dinner? Reservation for two? Uh, Simone, sorry, we don't know anybody named Simone. Too bad, we're full. Uh, works like that all the time. I did the wedding for Benny Agbayani in 1998 at the AAA All-Star Game in Norfolk, and a lot of you know that, and a lot of you don't know that. And he was playing for the New York Mets at the time. It was a really big deal. I was on ESPN for about five seconds, but it was, I was at least, hey, I was on ESPN. Were you on ESPN? Okay, so, so uh, about a year or so later, uh, I'm in New York City. My daughter has moved into an apartment. She and her friend Alyssa from William & Mary, they have this apartment, and they go, we'd like to go see the Mets play. And I say, okay, let's go see the Mets play. So we go out there, and I find the back entrance of Shea Stadium, and it's where they make all the deliveries and everything, big, wide-open door, wide-open gate, a lot of police officers standing around. And I just walked in. I said, hi, 
I married Benny Agbayani. Is there any, any way we could sit in the family seats today? You know what they said? Yes, yeah, sir. You know, I didn't go in there and say, hey, I'm Michael Simone. Can I sit in the seats? I would have got arrested. But I said, hey, I know Benny Agbayani. I did his wedding. Can we sit in his seats today at the stadium? It was like magic. Saw the game for free, sat behind home plate, sat with the family. You know, it was just, it was a name. Names open doors. And what God is saying to, to Moses, my name is going to open this door for the rest of your life if you know my name. It's like knowing who I am, and it changes everything. I open the door to your heart. You open the door of your heart to me. You're, this is who you need to really know. Moses, I'm the God you really need to know. I, I am. Let me ask you this. What are the first two words of the Great Commission in Matthew 28? This is for all you Bible scholars out there and Bible study people. First two words of the Great Commission in Matthew 28. The first time I was asked that, I thought I was really smart. And I said, go ye which is the, the King James. Go ye into all the world, preach the gospel. Go ye. And the person went, eh, wrong. Those aren't the first two words. And I thought, what? I always thought those were the first two words. He said, no, the first two words are all authority. All authority has been given to me. And Jesus said that because it's who he is. He is the preeminent resident authority of everything. It's in his name. All authority is all about what God is and does. You know, when you look, look at the, the burning bush passage in, in chapter 3, and, uh, and it talks about, there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Scholars tell us that when it says the angel of the Lord, that that's Jesus. Jesus spoke to him out of the bush, just like Jesus speaks to our hearts today. And that's the authority that we always go with. It's his authority. And sometimes doors open in ways that we can never fully imagine until years later. When we first started this church, we went in to the art center down on 22nd Street. We said, we wanted to start a church. And we had no money. We didn't have a check to write. And we didn't have a church, but we wanted to start a church. And they said, Okay, we'll do this with you. Whose authority walked in there? I didn't have any authority, but God was walking in with us. In his authority, things get done. The next deficit that Moses was experiencing, he had the inferiority deficit, the authority deficit. Then he has the credibility deficit, Exodus 4.1. What if they don't believe me or listen to me. And that's when God says, what's in your hand? Moses had this. But the real issue today is what's in your hand? What's tangible in your hand? Is it your position? Is it your resources? Is it your uh, responsibility level that you have where you work? Is it that you're a teacher? Is it that you're a mom or a dad of, of small kids and it's a weighty responsibility? What is in your hand? When you think about it, if you got out a piece of paper and you said, I'm going to write down everything that God has given me, everything that is in my 
hand or in my hands to use potentially for his purposes, for what he could do in me and through me. And you're going to fill up a sheet of paper. And God's always saying that to us. What's in your hand? What can I use? How can we get mileage out of this? How can we make an impact with this? Maybe it's your education. Maybe it's just your experience. Whatever it is, God wants to use it. What's in your hand? And what God has put in your hand is part of what he wants to do through your life that changes the world, that changes people's lives. Then there's the ability deficit that Moses was experiencing. Oh Lord, I've never been eloquent. I am slow of speech and tongue, Exodus 4.10. And God says, now go, I will help you speak and we'll teach you what to say. I know that so well in my life as if I didn't depend upon him for what I'm going to say, I could never be here on any given Sunday. It's a, it's a tension that I live with all the time. Um, this, is, this is not easy for me. You think it's easy for me. And I know sometimes it can appear it's easy. But it's one of the most difficult challenges I live with every single week and every single year that God's called me. And I have to trust that he's going to help me say what I'm going to say and teach me what to say all the time. Um, and I never wanted to speak in front of people. I would, I would run away from opportunities like that when I was younger to speak in front of people. But God's been faithful for 22 years. As long as he's faithful, then I will, I will be here. And there's the, the availability deficit. Oh, Lord, please send someone else to do it. Please send someone else to do it. And, and you want to bail out. You want to quit. You know, when, when the rubber meets the road and when it comes down to it's you that God has chosen and, and you don't have the resources to figure it out, you don't have the, the experience to figure it out, you don't feel like you have the wisdom to figure it out, as it often is depicted in Scripture. The person wants to quit. The person wants to go, how could it be me? I, I can't do this. Oh, Lord, please send someone else to do it. In his book, When Life's Not Working, Seven Simple Choices for a Better Tomorrow, Bob Merritt, the pastor of Eagle, Eagle Brook Church in uh, Minnesota, writes it this way. Pastor Bill Heibel says that life is full of quitting points when you have to find the resolve to push through for one more day. Facing, I faced a quitting point as a freshman in college, Three days into it, I was lonely and afraid, and I wanted to go home. Every time I began a new class and received the syllabus, I wanted to quit. Trying to learn Greek was a quitting point. Our first year of marriage was a quitting point. After our son David was born, we had two kids in diapers. That was a quitting point. My first year at Eagle Brook, I faced a quitting point. Every Monday morning, I face a quitting point when I sit down to an empty computer screen and wonder what God wants me to say this week that's fresh and life-changing. To be human is to want to quit when things get tough. But quitting stunts your growth and stops your progress. It keeps you from building a great life. That's just what it does. It keeps you from building everything that God wants to build in you and through you. And we all have deficits. But the key to deficits is this. If you let them push you 
into God, if you let them push you toward God, if you stop that, that drive and motivation to like move away from God and make excuses, the deficits themselves become part of amazing grace. And you begin to see that God is able to do something in your life that you never thought or imagined he could do. Let's look at it this way. Let's go back to those I wills. And I've, I've sort of rewritten them this way for you and for me. I am your power. I am your power. I'm the only power that's real in the entire universe. And I want to give it to you. I will bring you out from under what's stressing you and distressing you. I will free you from what you're stuck in. I paid the price for you on a cross long ago. This is a relationship, not a religion. I will always be there for you. I will bring you to a place that is good where you will celebrate life with family and friends. I will give you what you need to have the life you can give away to others. I will give you everything you need so you can give your life away. And and like Jesus said, it's the only way you can keep your life. It's by giving it away. None of us gets out of here without pain. None of us gets out of here without pain. But we can let our deficits work toward the kingdom of God. In this great book, God and Ronald Reagan, there's, a, there's an interesting story about, about Reagan and what happened to him after he was shot. On March 30th, 1981, 69 days into his presidency, there was an attempted assassination on Reagan. We all saw it. We heard the shots and we saw everybody move really, really fast and and they rushed Reagan to the hospital. While recovering in the hospital, Reagan told his daughter Maureen that he felt God had spared him for a reason and that he would devote the rest of his time on earth to whatever it was God intended him to do. Whatever happens now, I owe my life to God, and I will try to serve him every way I can, he said. Then on Good Friday of the same year, he, um, he was talking to uh, a religious leader, uh, a faith leader in New York City, and he said this, I've decided that whatever time I have left is for him. Whatever time I have left is for him. The same year in May, Reagan laid out a, a challenging philosophy of leadership in a commencement speech at the University of Notre Dame. He said this, for the West, for America, the time has come to dare to show to the world that our civilized ideas, our traditions, our values are not like, like the ideology and war machine of totalitarian societies, are not just a facade of strength. It is a time for the world to know our intellectual and spiritual values are rooted in the source of all strength, a belief in a supreme being and a law higher than our own. Ronald Reagan had come to understand that he had to live beyond his deficits and he had them just like we have them. He had to understand that God gave him a life and that life only works best when it's in his hands, when it's in God's hands. 
the truth about Moses is Moses just hung in there. He just hung in there. He learned to live beyond his deficits. And if he could do it, you can do it too. It's all because of the God I wish you knew, the God of the I wills, the God who will accomplish his purposes in you individually, personally, and in us corporately. When we allow our deficits to lean into his grace, when we allow our deficits to be part of the amazing advance of the kingdom of God in the world today, we can do this because it's a God that's so amazing. He's a God I wish you knew who desires to do something great in our lives, and we'll do that as we lay our deficits aside or we, or we lean our deficits into his will and his way in our life. What if, what if you rejected everything about God that wasn't God and accepted him for who he is? God for you. God for you. That's the God I wish you knew. It's the God Moses came to know. Dear Heavenly Father, allow us to to live beyond our deficits, allow us to, to get excited about where we can't do something and then we see you can do it. You open doors, you create experiences, you thrust us into adventures that, that expand our understanding of faith and life coming together. You use us in ways that you have gifted us because you have put things in our hands, just like you put a staff in Moses' hand long ago. Father, allow us to open our hearts and our minds to everything that you have called us to be, everything that you intend for us individually and as a church. Father, and as we trust you, allow us to know you as you really are, not as some picture book, stained glass God who's distant and far away, but as the one true holy God whose Holy Spirit lives in us and through us each and every moment of every day. Father, guide us into these realities to bring faith and life together. For we ask this in your holy name, in Jesus' name, amen.